We praise you. We worship you. We put you in your rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords. We know you're already there, but we're just recognizing together that that's true. Because sometimes I forget that and I put myself at the top. (laughs) And so, Lord, we surrender to you this morning because you're so good. You're so faithful. You are holy in all your ways, yet rich in mercy and grace toward us. So thank you, Lord, that you are never done working in us and consistently molding and shaping us, despite how painful it may be at times to be like Jesus. So continue to do that good work in us. We invite you to do that. In your name, amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. You know, I always, always think it's interesting. Thank you, Michael. You know, I was, I, I've been doing this Bible reading um, just on my own, just this kind of prescripted thing, certain things to read every day. And, and this morning, I was reading from Exodus 13 and 14, which is the story after God has delivered the Israelites from slavery under Egypt. They were enslaved for 430 years. That's a long time. That's a lot of generations. But yet God in his power delivered them out and brought them right on the edge of Egypt, about to head into the wilderness. But first, there's this Red Sea in the way. And the Israelites see what, saw what God did already, but yet in this moment they got the Egyptians on one side and the Red Sea on the other, and they start freaking out. And I relate with this so much in my life, because there have been times that I can look back and say, God did so much in my life, but yet once I face a new challenge that I haven't seen him deliver me from this kind of thing before, I start freaking out. <laughs> because it's, like I, it's not that I forget, it's just, well, it hasn't been this yet. Like, like he, he delivered us out of Egypt, but he, not over a sea yet. And God's like, come on now. <laughs> come on now. And so the, the, Isra- the Israelites are telling Moses, he says, was, there, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? <laughs> That's snarky. <laughs> but Moses answered the people, and I think this is a word for me, and I think this is a word for our church. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And you could say, whatever it is that you're coming up against, this is obstacle between you growing and being like Jesus, whatever it is that you can't control that is causing you to feel anxious and worried or afraid or whatever sin, struggle, addiction it is that's holding you back from all that God has for you, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so I want you this moment, what is it that that thing that, that, you've, that is consistently you're butting up against, the Lord is calling you through it. It's an area of growth in your life or it's an area of some, something that, that he is leading you through in the process of becoming like Jesus. What is that thing? I just want to take a moment and just be still. Let's give that to the Lord, can we? Lord, there's so much that we cannot control in this world. There's so many situations, relationships that have us tempted to be anxious because we haven't faced this before. But God, nothing is new for you. And you're the God who goes ahead of us. You're the God who fights for us. 
I, I, I just look forward to the day, God, when I, will, when I will spend eternity with you. And I don't know if it works like this or not, but I, I hope you can go back and show me all the times that you were fighting for me and I didn't even realize you were doing it. That you went ahead of me and I didn't even realize I needed it. But that's your goodness and that's your faithfulness, far expanding anything that I even realize. So Lord, I pray that as we gather together today, we're about to talk about one more aspect of prayer and, and, and specifically how it breaks the power of anxiety. Lord, I pray that we will leave our anxieties here and we'll walk out of here with freedom and fresh peace today. Peace that only you can give. In your name, amen. Amen. So, so I, I want to dive in, back into our prayer series. Believe it or not, as David said earlier, the season of Lent begins this Wednesday. That 40-day preparation period for Holy Week. Can you believe that? Right? Easter is already, we're already fresh on our minds. Um, but, so that means that this will be the last Sunday in our series on prayer before we begin a new one next week. But so far, uh, my hope has been, my prayer has been, that this series can provide a bit of a spark for us individually and collectively as a church a spark to adopt new habits of prayer that over time can become as natural as breathing in and breathing out, hence the series name. And so we, we talked throughout this series that God is not annoyed hearing from you. You know, Paul says, pray continually. Jesus said, Luke 18, he says, I'm going to tell you to pray and don't give up. And last week we looked at Mark 11 where Jesus said, encourages us, invites us to pray big old, groundbreaking, faith-filled prayers that only God can fulfill. Why? Because prayer changes things. I don't always understand the mystery of how and why God does what he does, but one thing he promises is that prayer changes things. And so as we go into this final week of the series, though, well, as I said, we're going to look specifically at how prayer breaks the power of anxiety over us to make way for God's peace. And, I, and if it feels to you like the word anxiety has become a bigger issue today than it was 10, 20, 50 years ago, it's because it is. One, there's a national a nationally known uh, professor of psychology named Dr. Jean Twenge, who has devoted her life to studying the differences in the generations uh, currently alive in America. And she wrote one of the most comprehensive and data-based books on the subject entitled Generations, in case you have a hard time remembering the title. Um, one of her realizations, though, is that out of all those generations alive today, that with each new generation, there has been a greater, greater level of anxiety than the generation before it. You know, so the boomer generation, for example, they experienced the Vietnam area. They certainly had plenty of reason for anxiety in, in their time. But the Gen X tends to struggle with it even more. Millennials even more. And now today, Gen Z, speaking mainly to those who are middle school, high school, young adults today, are considered to struggle with anxiety more than any generation alive currently. Does that make you anxious thinking about that? <laughs> but, 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 but the question is why? Because that's a, that's a loaded question and it's a loaded answers. Answers that, just to getting at the tip of the iceberg here, have to do with the rapid pace of technological change, the advent of social media, uh, the, the major global events, wars, a, a, we had a pandemic, you guys remember that? 
right? And the fact that you hear about everything um, through, through this global village we live in. And it's well documented how Americans today, th- there's a growing and increasing suspicion toward institutions that we used to distrust. Government, church, healthcare, education. That many people are searching now for, for a place to sink their roots, a solid family or community or belief system, but they just don't know where. And so that's the really like the high level big picture, but my point is that yeah, anxiety's real and it's present. And instead of ignoring it, let's talk about it. And in Jesus' day, there were certainly plenty of reasons for anxiety at his time. I mean, like it was a, it was a powder keg uh, in Jesus' day of, of the Jews and the Romans. Like riots were just certain to pop off at any moment. But yet you look at who Jesus was, his words and his life. And what's fascinating to me is that anxiety never controlled him. Instead, he said things like this to his disciples. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Or he said things like, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Oh, isn't that beautiful? There was more than enough anxiety in Jesus' day, but clearly he walked the way of peace. And he invites his followers to do the same in our day. But how? Well, there was another um, follower of Jesus named the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was a man who really sought with his whole life to walk the way of Jesus, but yet he had no shortage of troubles, beaten, shipwrecked, persecuted, you name it. I would think plenty of reason for anxiety, but yet he could tell a people in the, in the, in the, tell the church in Philippi, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Again, Well, I want to look at Paul's words in that same letter to the Philippian church. And what he's going to show us is just how vital prayer is if we're going to walk the way of Jesus and how to pray as we struggle with anxiety. In Philippians 4, 4 through 9, Paul gets downright practical. And we will too. To not just talk about how do we cope with anxiety, but how do we address its root Because prayer is vital, he adds here. Anxiety comes. It's pervasive. We can't live just as this this life that's completely free from any situation that might cause us to be anxious. So instead of letting it control our reactions, how do we walk in freedom, the way of peace, the way of Jesus? So let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 together. And if you want to open uh, the Bible app, you can. If you want to open the, the Pew Bible in front of you, we're on page 953. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, you can follow in the screen behind me. But first, Paul's going to lay out what the way of Jesus can look like. And then he's going to talk, uh, talk through us, talk through with us how we can pray as we begin to struggle with it so that we might walk in freedom from it. Here we go. Everybody ready? Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Lord, that is what I crave. And I know many of us in here too, that you, the God of peace, will be with us, that we might experience this peace which boggles human minds, but yet is real and present in guarding our hearts and minds. So Lord, I pray that you lead us in this today, that you, you speak to every person in this room, and that you give us the faith to believe that we can walk in freedom and we can walk in peace. In your name, amen. So as I said a moment ago, I, I hope that today and what we're going to be walking through is, is not only informative but practical. That we can, get, can give us some tools in prayer that Paul gives us to know how we can respond in the midst of anxiety so that we can walk in greater freedom. Because anxiety is real. But how do we live in freedom from it? How do we learn to live the way of Jesus? But before we get to how, let's just talk about what anxiety is. And how it, it tends to operate. How does chronic anxiety in particular work against what Jesus wants for us? So instead of living in freedom, chronic anxiety keeps us running in a cycle of reactivity. Reactivity. Now before I explain that, let's look at those first couple of verses that Paul gives. Because in those first couple of verses, Paul gives us two commands which really try to describe briefly like what the Jesus way looks like. And he says in command number one, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, rejoice doesn't mean feel happy and life is fun all the time. You know, if you look at Paul's life, life wasn't always fun for Paul. But whether he was walking as a free man or whether he was imprisoned, his soul was free to choose joy. Why? Because his joy wasn't dependent on circumstances. It was dependent on his unchanging God and the fact that God was always good. And then his second command is, let your gentleness be evident to all. That word gentleness, I think, is better translated gentle forbearance. And I like that word because that, that means that even when someone cuts you off in traffic, even when somebody talks about you behind your back, even when someone harms you or hurts you, that your response to them isn't conditioned by their actions. Gentle forbearance means that we're free to love even when not loved. So therefore, going back to those words joy and gentleness, both are expressions of freedom instead of reactivity. To rejoice always means that our circumstances don't control our response. You guys tracking with me so far? To, to, be, to gently forbear with someone doesn't mean they walk all over you. But it does mean that their actions don't determine your reaction. That's freedom. And therefore, joy and gentleness, are like a, they're a beautiful resistance in the midst of an anxious culture. That's freedom. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus exhibited, always. And he wants to lead us in the same thing. That he was able to follow the way of God no matter what was going on around him or how people may have treated him. 
And that's important to see. Because anxiety is best defined as reactivity. Now, let me say first, there are many types of anxiety. There's anxiety that that stems from grief or trauma-induced anxiety or a diagnosis resulting from a chemical imbalance in our brains. Those are all real. Right? And, and, if you, and I understand that actually addressing the root causes of some of those things may take more time than what a sermon can give. And I, I want to say, if, if you need a reference for a qualified counselor or group that can help you address some of those things, please come see us. Please come talk to us. We'd love to walk alongside of you and help you in that. But today, we're talking about the most common form of anxiety, which I'll call chronic anxiety. Now, let me say real quick, There is a difference, though, between rational anxiety and irrational. Rational anxiety is I'm standing on a railroad tracks and there's a train coming, (laughs) right? Yeah, you should feel anxious (laughs) because that's going to help keep you safe. And so I'm not necessarily talking about that. What I'm talking about today is that irrational, chronic sense of anxiety that many of us live with and that's certainly perpetual in our society. That's like this fight or flight reaction when something or someone doesn't go as it should or as we think it should. Chronic anxiety is more of this worry that we just can't get out of our minds or even our bodies sometimes. That often shows up as a symptom that our minds start spinning our hearts start racing and it's like we just can't sit still. Or our body starts tightening up. Sometimes you even start to feel nauseous. There, there have been a couple of times where I've experienced all three at once. I'm like, am I going crazy here? Right? Or some, it may even end up in straight up panic attacks. But I, one thing I only realized in the last couple of years is that anxiety doesn't just start in us. It's also, you can catch it from somebody else. You ever been perfectly fine and you walk into a room and then somebody else walks into a room and they're all anxious and all of a sudden you're like, why am I anxious? It's like, it's like sometimes we just start picking it up from somebody else in the room or we may pick it up from society as a whole. Election season, case in point. Like all of a sudden we start to see like everybody's just restless and irritable and reactionary. We're like, what's going on? It's, it's in the air. And we start to pick it up whether we realize it or not and wear it like a blanket. And over time, like our mind starts to get foggy, zapped energy, distracted mind. Like we, we get irritable, we pop off at somebody. We're like, where did that come from? We react. And so my question is, well, where does it come from? What's the root of this thing? Well, we understand that as human beings, you know, we all have fallen sinful natures, but I want to get a little bit more specific. And that oftentimes that comes from expectations, assumptions, or lies that we've begun to believe. So possible scenario. My kid is struggling, but if I'm a good parent, my kid won't be struggling, therefore I'm failing. What's the assumption or the lie in that? That if I'm a good parent, my kid's not going to struggle. But let me ask everybody in here. Is that true? No. But do we believe it sometimes? Yes. Or we start to feel pain in our bodies. And the assumption is that, oh, immediately worst case scenario in our heads. Or John Doe, we used to be close, but now John's ignoring me, and I assume he's angry with me, and I begin to obsess about it because I expect everyone to like me. Anxiety. Or financially, 
Like, I, I expect or assume that by such and such age, I'm supposed to have a house, I'm supposed to be like this, I'm supposed to be settled, I'm supposed to be in this place or that place, but I'm not. So now all of a sudden, finances begin to cause anxiety. Again, I can't hit on every single scenario that we face in this room, but try to give enough variety to say, like, does this relate? And do you see how the assumptions or expectations or lies, false needs, are often tied to that reactionary nature? Because whatever it may be, anxiety begins in the context of some assumption or expectation, or lie, false need that we're holding on to. The question oftentimes I have to ask myself is, is can I name it? Do I know what it is? Do I, do I need people to like me to be okay? Do I need X, Y, and Z to be secure? Do I need them to be at peace so that I can be at peace? <laughs> like, what's the root cause? Because once reality begins to clash with whatever assumption or lie we believe, then enters anxiety. But oftentimes we don't even notice that it's happening in us. Maybe I'm just speaking as a me right now. But like, sometimes I don't notice that it's even in there until I start feeling the side effects, the symptoms of it. When your mind starts spinning, your heart's racing, or some, I react to someone in a not-so-Jesus-like way. Or I find myself just trying to cope with it. Like, why am I just endlessly scrolling social media for no other reason than just to make myself feel some relief? Or I'm binging, or I, I just want to binge, or I, there's an addiction that comes in. or, or some, We're just looking for something that will feel like a relief for a moment. Oftentimes it's the coping or the symptoms or the reactions. that Those are the first things we notice. But what is the root cause And while anxiety may be normal in society or may feel normal in our lives, Jesus can free us. Let me say that again. Jesus can free us. Yes, anxiety is real, but it doesn't have to control us. Yes, those feelings are real, but it doesn't mean that we are victims to it. I love um, my good friend Jason Lorenz, who's a uh, teacher and chaplain over at CCA, he often tells his students, he says, your feelings are real, but not always true. (laughs) That instead of reacting to circumstances and people, how can we live free? Well, first, notice the symptoms of anxiety. Then ask God to help you name its cause. Now, if you're the type like your just body is always like this and you have a hard time sitting still, especially those who struggle with anxiety and this is the way that you are. Like this might be the hardest part for you. To actually stop, notice, and pray. But this can be the very moment where God has to sometimes put us by the shoulders and sit us down. And so that we name, man, this is, notice what's going on inside of you. Where does it come from? Notice and naming it. And naming that assumption or that expectation or that lie can sometimes take more time. Sometimes it might be obvious, other times it's not. That's one reason why I have a journal, because I get distracted, and if I write things down, I can stay focused and can work through, this is how I'm doing, and this is what what I think is coming on, and asking God to show me what it is. And I'll normally pray something like Psalm 139, 23, 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is the Jesus way. And I get it. If you've been coping with anxiety 
for most of your life, or just kind of ignoring the inner world of your mind and your heart, kind of keeping stiff-arming God in these areas, this very thing could be, feel very exposing at first. And it can be hard. But that's why I want us to remember what Jesus himself said. Jesus said, come to me. Not all those who got it together, but the weary and the burdened. That's, that's what he wants to come to him. Those who are just worn out by the anxiety that you struggle with, come to him. The very reason why he gave his life is because he loves you so much that we might walk free. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. How much of it? All of it on him. Why? Because that's how much he cares about you. Many of you in here are parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. If you had, or uncles or aunts, if you, if you're, your kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews came to you and said, hey, I'm struggling, what would you do? Hey, yes, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. how much more must your God, your Father in heaven, want us to come to him in our struggles? How much more? And not only that, how much more is he able to help us in those things? But it's after noticing those symptoms and naming the assumption or lie, what does Paul say to do next? What happens when we pull up the root of that thing and put it in the light? That after naming the root of anxiety, that's when we can breathe in the truth of God and breathe out our prayer. You know, it's well proven that the power that slow, full breathing can have to calm somebody whose body is anxious. Like if, if your mind is spinning, your, your body's all tight, panic attack, like it's often recommended to repeatedly breathe in through your nose a count of four and breathe out through your mouth a count of six or something like that. And it begins to bring the heart rate down and it and calms the nervous system. Well, I want us to think about prayer that way. Except prayer has the ability to reach deep down to our hearts and to our minds, to our very souls. And when you come to pray, begin by breathing in the truth of who your God is. Because it's by taking in and remembering who God is that we confront the assumption or lie with the divine reality. Because if I don't, I know at least for me, if I don't stop to remember the truth of God when I'm going through something... All my prayers are is just worrying in God's direction. But when we close our eyes to pray, we open the eyes of our heart to see that, as Paul said, the Lord is near. And there we find security in who he is. And we breathe in the reality. We remember that through Christ, we can call God Father. And not only that, but there's no one like him in holiness. And there's no one like him in mercy and grace. And we, we remember in this moment, this is when we begin to just soak and remember just how much God loves us. And we receive that so much that he would give his life for us. But in remembering that he gave his life for us, we also remember that there's nothing too hard for him because he's the same God who rose from the grave. And if that's our God, Therefore, in every situation, we can breathe out our request to him in prayer. And once we begin to give those requests to God, that's the moment 
where we remember he's God, I'm not, and that's actually amazing. (laughs) That's great news. Because instead of obsessing about my kid's struggle or sitting in that sense of my own personal failure, I can say, Lord, I'm, I'm worried about my kids. But I fling that on you and ask that you open my mind and theirs to your wisdom. Man, Lord, they need wisdom. And I ask that you equip their hands for every good work. Open their hearts, my heart too, to your love. Every situation. For God, I'm all tied up about my health, about my finances. But Lord, will you please provide for us and teach my heart contentment in the process? Or God, I can't change John Doe, but Lord, you can. So teach me how to love John (laughs) right now like Jesus does. And then in the process, whatever he's going through, show John how much you love him in every situation. Every situation, Paul says, bring it to your father. But alongside those requests, notice Paul adds this brief phrase that is vitally important. He says, with thanksgiving. (laughs) Don't miss this. Because it's gratitude that starves anxiety of its power in us. That anxiety wants to get us to hyper-focus on all that's wrong or bad. But gratitude recognizes and expresses the reality of God's goodness. Anxiety fogs our hearts and our minds with the lie that it's not going to be okay. But gratitude recognizes how God is at work. And this builds trust in us. That the more we learn to exercise gratitude, the weaker anxiety's grip is on us. So in that moment, we can say, God, thank you that you're not done working in my kids' lives. Thank you for the ways that you provided. Thank you that you love John Doe. And as you see, do you guys see just how practical Paul is is here when he's talking about how we work through this together? That as we breathe in the truth of God and and breathe out our request and our gratitude, then anxiety begins to lose its power over us. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't mean that it always happens right in an instant. We like, we, we like our microwave spirituality. I just pop it in, boom, comes out and it's all warm. <laughs> but that's not how God often works. Because sometimes he may root up one thing and then he reveals another thing. And then over time he's just teaching us consistently how to live into this pattern of keep coming back to him. Because that's where we learn to depend on him. And that's the greater gift in all of this. It's not just that we get to be free. It's ultimately that we learn to be free with him. And as we learn to talk to our loving father about every anxiety lay situation relationship... What does Paul say happens in us? That instead of reacting, how does, what, is, what does freedom in Christ begin to look and feel like? Come on, Steve. You're, yes. I'll let you come up and preach this if you want to. Because in our anxious world, as, as Steve knows, like we can live in the way of God's peace and lead others in it. 
And the, the promise of Scripture, the promise of what Paul says is that as we learn to come and bring these things to God with thanksgiving, that, that the promise is that, that there will be a peace which surpasses all understanding, God's peace that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I love that phrase, transcends all understanding. Because Paul knows who's, who he's talking to. He's talking to a bunch of believers in the city of Philippi that's facing persecution. Some of them were likely in prison at this moment. And Paul's telling them, don't worry about it. They're like, are you kidding me right now? But Paul had already lived it. And he knew that it was through prayer and putting this prayer into practice that the roots of our faith can grow deep into the soil of God's truth, tapping into the living water of his love so that despite whatever storms may blow around us, we can exhibit the beautiful fruit of God's peace. That we are not only freed from the control of anxiety, but we're freed for God's peace. But remembering, it's not just for us. Because if we have a peace that doesn't make sense to others, then they're going to wonder where we're getting it. Because whenever God is at work within us, it's never meant to remain just with us, but to be shared. That's how God's generous love works. And so as we learn through prayer how to be a non-anxious presence in our world, then don't be surprised if people come at you saying, hey, where are you getting this stuff? Or they may start testing you to see if it's real. Because when we exhibit real peace, that becomes an opportunity to share about the source of that peace so that others may know the source too. And the way I see it, I see our role as God's people today is much like four chaplains on the U.S. Army transport ship Dorchester during World War II. That on February 2nd, 1943, a ship called the Dorchester was carrying 902 servicemen right off the coast of Greenland uh, when a torpedo from a German submarine struck the ship. And as that ship began to sink, everyone on board began to panic and race for the lifeboats. Like it just pandemonium. Except for there's four chaplains on board who were working to calm everyone and distribute life vests. It didn't matter who the sailor was. That these four chaplains just exhibited what it meant to be a non-anxious presence in a, in a state of chaos that would ultimately save others. And as the ship was going down, and man, this hit me, Survivors in nearby rafts said they could see the four chaplains, arms linked together, braced against the slanting deck as they could hear their voices praying and singing hymns, handing out life vests, saving everybody they could. Then another survivor would later say, it was the finest thing I have seen or hope to see this side of heaven. And those four chaplains ended up giving their lives to save 230 others. I doubt anybody in this room will argue if I said that we live in a broken world or that anxiety is higher now than it's ever been. I think that's a safe assumption. <laughs> On top of that, there might be some who would say it feels like the ship's even going down. But wherever we are and however we view all that's going on in this world, the most important question we can ask right now here is how can we follow the Jesus way? 
How can we live as free people from the circumstances, from the reactions of others, so that we might model a different way, the way of peace? That is exactly who our Jesus was is that he stood between the gap of heaven and earth and he went to that cross that he might be the sacrifice. And even in the midst of that, say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But then rise from the dead to begin new life for all. And for us, if we've received that by faith, that doesn't make us better than anybody else. It just makes us rescued people but rescued people who are learning to put their roots deep through prayer into who God is so that we might show this world that there's a way of peace to walk. And that Jesus has sent us into an anxious world with this freedom, but we'll live free as we learn to pray. And so it struck me that oftentimes my first reaction when I see just how broken the world is is just assume, throw my hands up and say, ah, oh, it's all going to, you know what? But I think instead, as we learn to pray, that we begin to see instead of this being the worst, that we might see it as an opportunity. This is, this is the time to pray. This is the time to get on our knees and ask God to do something new that he's never done before. Because if you look across the history of this world, any time the world has been in chaos or anxiety has flooded society, God has already planted the seeds of renewal within his people that he can bring about if those people would just begin to pray. Every great awakening, every revival begins because God's people began to pray. I, I encourage you to look in Scripture at any moment in there to see that in the most anxious situations, that's not the end of the story. But God is already beginning a new work in that situation. You look at the Israelites who were in slavery 430 years, they began to pray, and God delivered them. You look at the Israelites who went to the promised land, and they turned away from God. So God allowed them to experience the consequence of what they went through, but they began to pray. And God would send a leader called a judge who would deliver them. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus had died. He rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the disciples were like, what do we do now? We're not Jesus. But what did they do? They went to an upper room and they prayed. And it's in that prayer that the Holy Spirit came down upon those followers and led them out into the streets of Jerusalem and thousands came to know Jesus. But even after that, you might think, well, this is wonderful. Now everything's going to be perfect. No, it wasn't. Because in that moment, that's when persecution began to break out against the church and some, some people were thrown into prison. Some like Stephen were even killed. And you would think, that, well, oh man, this is the end of the story. No, it wasn't. Because God, that's the very thing that propelled his people out to the Roman Mediterranean world with the seed of the gospel that spread and you saw a movement of Christ began all across that is still continuing to this day. And you can look at awakenings and revivals across church history and you can see this pattern over and over. So why not now? Why would now be any different? We're looking at the Red Sea. Yeah, and God parted the Red Sea. This might be a new situation to a lot of us, but it's not new to God. So now's the time to pray. And so what I want to encourage us to do is the worship team is going to come up and sing a final song. But I don't want you just to sit and sing this song. I want you to engage in this moment. You, you can come up here and pray. You can pray from your seat. You can sing the songs and let it wash over you. But I, if you came in here and you meant I'm carrying something, 
Don't walk out of here still carrying that anxiety with you. Leave it with God, with thanksgiving, and see if his peace does not begin to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So stand with me, everybody. Lord, I thank you that despite what circumstances look like, even if it feels like we got the Egyptians on one side and the Red Sea on the other, that you are never done. And that there's no situation too hard for you. I thank you for the depths of your love for every person in this room. And Lord, I pray, no matter how strong the battle might be with anxiety or anything else that might be struggling with, God, that we can come and lay that down before you today. We can give it to you. We can ask that you work. We can breathe in who you are, the truth, and breathe out our prayers with thanksgiving. And as we do so, may you settle the roots of our faith that much more deeply into you, that we might experience and exhibit the very fruit of peace. Thank you for what you're doing in and among us and for the new work that you're already doing in this world. In your holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen.